Father, we just uh, lift up our country before you this evening. There's so much going on in this country and uh, throughout the world, Lord. There's a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, uh, mass shootings, and uh, still going on for this last month, it seems like. Our country, Lord, seems to keep getting darker and darker and the pain keeps getting harder and harder. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that your love is great. We pray, Father, that your hand would stay the evil in this nation. Lord, that you'd bring peace and healing to those who are hurting, those who had to bury their children. Just a couple of weeks ago, losing their children to a mass murderer murderer there in Texas and then shootings in Buffalo and in California and Tennessee. It seems like the list goes on and on. Father, we ask that you would be with this nation. We have, Lord, a political pull from the left to the right and the extreme left, the extreme right. And Lord, people have turned away from you. We pray, Father, that their hearts would turn toward you. We ask, Lord, that you would send revival. Bless our teaching tonight, Lord. Ask that you would just help us to gain a greater understanding of your word and bring application to our lives. Pray that you would be with this church and the work you've called us to, the provisions of this fellowship. We thank you, Lord, that you have provided for nearly 30 years. As we came together as a fellowship in December of 1992, Lord, you continue to bless this church and continue to do so, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, we're looking at Exodus 34 and 35 tonight. And uh, we have, beginning in Exodus 34, Moses being commanded by the Lord to return to Mount Sinai, to go up on the mountain of God and to carry with him two tablets of stone. Because the first time that he went up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, God provided the stones with the Ten Commandments upon them. But while Moses was there on the mountain, the children of Israel were in the valley, in the camp, and they got tired of waiting. Said to Aaron, we don't know what happened to your brother, so make us a God that will go before us. And the whole golden calf incident took place. Moses came down from the mountain, took the stones that God had given him with the Ten Commandments, broke them on the ground, ground them up, and forced the people to drink the law. We are not under law, but under grace. Law was tough, but God's grace is greater. And we find that out here in Exodus 34, because now God has Moses return to the mountain. This time he has to supply the stones, but God was still right upon the stones, his commandments for the children of Israel and would continue to be in their midst and to guide them into the promised land. It will be a long journey before they get there. It would take 40 years for the children of Israel once they came out of Egypt to enter into the promised land. And the first generation that came out of Egypt never 
entered into the land of promise. Only two from that generation and that of Joshua and Caleb. We've met Joshua already, but we've not yet met Caleb. So we're going to have a re-giving of the law, but also the declaration of the name of God given to us in Exodus 34. And then as we get to Exodus 35 through 40, we have the explanation, the dedication, uh, building of the temple and the dedication of the temple, kind of finishing out the book of Exodus. And so we're going to be spending a lot of time looking at the construction of the temple itself and the various articles that God commanded Moses and the people, children of Israel to make. But now they're actually going to begin the work as we get into chapter 34 and concluding the chapter. We'll get through it probably um, at my rate will be the beginning of July sometime. But next Sunday, it's the third Sunday of the month, third Wednesday of the month, sorry, next Wednesday, third Wednesday of the month, and we'll have communion and a prophecy update. And there's a lot going on, a lot to talk about. And we will accomplish that for next week, Lord willing. And just look at some of the things going on in the world and relate them to Scripture. So I want to do that next week and keep that in prayer as I prepare for that. So here in chapter 33, Moses asked God, in chapter 33, just backing up to verse 18, please show me your glory. And here in chapter 34 begins by Moses not only seeing the glory of God, but hearing the declaration of his name. And so I like to put a key verse, sometimes two key verses, chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, the declaration of the name of God. As the Lord passed before Moses, he proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So the name of the Lord being declared in verses 1 through 9 as Moses ascends Mount Sinai, the Lord commanded him in verse 1 to cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. And I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. And so be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me and there on the top of the mountain, verse 3, and no man shall come up with you. Let no man be seen throughout all the mountain, neither the flocks or the herds feed before the mountain. So, verse 4, he cut the two tablets of stone like the first ones. Then Moses rose early in the morning, went up Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and he took in his hands the two tablets of stone. As I said, when God gave, initially gave Moses the law, the Ten Commandments, God supplied the stones. This time Moses had to supply the stone, but God would put the words upon the stone, the same words that were written on the first two tablets. And Moses now coming up to the Lord with the tablets of stone that he had destroyed because of the rebellion of the golden calf. And here we find that God's 
mercy upon the children of Israel that he did not walk away from them. He did not destroy them, although some were judged and died. Some 3,000 died on that day. Yet God showed his mercy by giving them the law, continuing the plan that he had for the nation of Israel, ultimately continuing the plan that he had for the salvation of the world, which would come through faith in Jesus Christ, a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, descendant of David and the kingly line there. Well, God was going to write the law on two tablets of stone. Today, 2 Corinthians 3, verses 2 and 3 reminds us that we are the epistle of God written in our hearts, known and read by all men. And Paul would go on to say in verse 3, 2 Corinthians 3, 3, clearly you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. God writes his law, his word, right into our hearts as followers of Jesus Christ. So Moses was obedient to the command of the Lord, and that following morning he ascended the mountain with the two tablets of stone. He went up early. I know not everyone is an early riser. I tend to be. I don't like it these days, but I tend to be. I don't like it because I, I set an alarm and I don't even get to the alarm and I'm already looking at the clock way before, sometimes an hour before the clock goes off. I try to be respectful for my wife and kind of just lay there <laughs> waiting for the day to kind of kick in, sometimes dozing off back to sleep. But the Bible tells us in Psalm 63.1, O God, you are my God, early I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. And so the Bible often refers to people rising early. And here in Psalm 63.1, reminding us, early I will seek you. I think it's the best way to start our day in meditating and waiting upon the Lord, looking into his word, preparing us for whatever the day might bring. So verses 5 through 9, in verses 5 and 7 we read, as Moses ascends the mountain, actually he's coming down the mountain right now, oh, let me get my notes right. Look, John, it's right there. God descends upon the mountain. It's not Moses, it's God. He descends, Moses goes up, and God comes down. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him, proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So the Bible teaches that God spoke to Moses, Exodus 33:11, as a man uh, speaks to his friend face to face. And still Moses, in Exodus 33:11, he had this unique relationship with God, yet he wanted more. He, desi he desired to see God's glory. And yet before God would allow his goodness to pass 
before Moses. He first placed Moses in the cleft of the rock, covered him as he passed by. So all Moses was literally allowed to see was the back or the afterglow of the Lord as he passed by. And so even though Exodus 33:11, as the Bible teaches, Moses talked to God face to face as a man speaks to his friend, he didn't see, literally see the face of God. And here in Exodus 34, we discover that he couldn't even see the front of God as he walked toward him, but only the back or his afterglow as he went by. And as he went by, he proclaimed his name. The name of the Lord and contained within this. And I, I kind of struggled, I mean, in my head, as far as theology goes, seven attributes of God being listed here. And I begin counting the words and I kind of wonder, is that one? Is this one? We'll go through the words in a moment. Um, and what makes it difficult is because they repeat mercy twice. And so I had to dig into that. Why repeating mercy twice and there is a little difference in the type of mercy that's being spoken about and also we see which I didn't even include in my notes when it talks about judgment that God is just and I just threw that in God didn't declare that but we find the words itself uh, depicting that with God bringing judgment upon the people by not clearing the guilty it means that he is just and he brings just justice upon this earth but he begins the first and sixth attributes that he describes is that of mercy god is merciful a word picture of merciful would be a deep kindly sympathy or sorrow felt for another who's been struck with affliction or with misfortune my family's been in town. We had a wedding last weekend, and on Sunday afternoon, my family always makes it into my sermons. Our granddaughter uh, went to the skate park. She's 10 years old. She wiped out, broke her two front teeth. We got a phone call that the accident happened, and it was a little noisy at that phone call. And all I could do was go, oh, you guys did it too. I just explained it to you. Her teeth look great now. Our dentist uh, really fixed her up the next day, and she doesn't even want to wear it. Mom and Dad bought her tooth guard, and it's like she didn't want to put it on. It's like, you just broke your two front teeth. Wear the guard. But <laughs> she's fine. I, it, it's, uh, it, was a, it was a fall, but that being struck sorrow for another that kind of sigh that you guys made that's what i made that's the point i was going to make i was just like oh it just broke my heart to hear that something happened to our granddaughter and we didn't know how severe it was or how bad it was and if the injury would affect her teeth worse than they did and uh, they were able to repair it no nerve damage and all that side side of it is good so god merciful twice used but the twice used is a little different in each of the usage. But we find this repeated, and I didn't write all these down, but several times you go through the Bible, you'll discover that there'll be parts of this name being repeated. One of those times, though, I did write down, it's Psalm 145, 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious, he is full of compassion, slow to anger, 
great in mercy. The Lord is good to all. His tender mercies are over all his works. And so you will find this declaration of God's name that he made of himself given to Moses. It's repeated. Uh, Joel, the prophet Joel, will repeat. Uh, The prophet Jonah will repeat the attributes of God that come from this very passage when dealing with God. Often people only see the righteousness and justice of God, which results in really the judgment of our sins. And yet the Lord is also gracious. He's full of compassion. He's slow to anger. He's great in mercy. These attributes, as I listed them, God is merciful. It means to be great in mercy. He is gracious. He is long-suffering. He has goodness. He is truth. He's keeping mercy. So that's the second mercy. Uh, It could be translated the keeper of mercy. I like the way that is translated. And he is forgiving. But also one that I didn't put in my list, but as I was reading this, when he deals with sin, not clearing the guilty, God is just. We never need to forget that. He's forgiving, but he's also a just God. And these are displayed through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus declared of himself in John 14, 9, and then also in verse 11, he who has sent me, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Believe me that I am in the Father. The Father is in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. We are one and the same. If God, my Father, is merciful, gracious, long-suffering, goodness, truth, the keeper of mercy, uh, forgiving, then I am also merciful, gracious, long-suffering, have goodness and truth, the keeper of mercy and forgiving. And both God and Jesus are also just. So Moses, verses 8 and 9, he bows his head in haste. It said he made haste to bow his head. He did it in a hurry. He bowed toward the earth. He worshiped the Lord. And then he said, if now I have found grace in your sight, God, you said you are gracious. So Moses prays it right back to the Lord. If I found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people. If, Lord, you are forgiving, as you just said in that declaration of your name, verse 9, Lord, pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as your inheritance. I love this because upon hearing the proclamation of God's name, Moses instantly prayed back two of the attributes that God proclaimed about himself, his grace and his forgiveness. And he said, Lord, if I found grace in your sight, please pardon your people and take us as your inheritance. That's something that we can do as well. That's why it's so important to read the word of God, to learn the word of God, to understand the word of God, that There'll be times when we're able to pray scripture back to the Lord. Not that we need to remind God anything. He knows all things, but more so reminding ourselves of the attributes and the mercies and the grace of God. Psalm 33:12. I believe this 
was once could have been said about our nation, I fear that it is no longer. Psalm 33:12 says, "Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and the people who has chosen He has chosen as His inheritance." Now we can say this about most of our churches, hopefully, but there are a lot of churches in our land that also this could not be set up. And blessed is the church whose God is the Lord, the people who has chosen He has chosen as His own inheritance. Um, there's a lot of churches that they are more concerned about the social gospel than the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And the social gospel is just bending on the whims of humanity, and they are ever-changing. If you notice that if you, on social media, it's like a trend that we have with social media now. I haven't done this. Maybe you have. I'm not trying to put guilt on anyone, but... It seems like every other week there's like a new hashtag or a new symbol that we all have to be following. It could be a Ukrainian flag. It could be this month a rainbow flag. And by the way, God said the rainbow is mine and I want it back. So I'm just going to put that out there. And pray for me. I was preparing a radio message for the 4th of July that I taught last year. And it's been a year since I taught the message, but it was right around the 4th. And I'm going to put it out on our radio station and WHLP and WTSW. And uh, as I began listening to it, my opening, about eight minutes of the opening, had to do with Pride Month and uh, an old movie that I had seen and the difference between what was spoken in the movie versus the condition of our nation today. And we talked about true freedom. And so I'm going to put it on the radio. People, Some people will not like it, maybe. Christians should. But uh, basically what triggered this whole message last year during Pride Month was a commercial of just a young boy that was holding a sign that said, Pride is freedom. And uh, so I asked the question, is that true? Would the Bible support that statement? And we kind of go through that in the message. And uh, it will be a timely message. Once again, I had no clue. It's been a year since I taught the message. I don't remember these. (laughs) Sometimes something sticks with me. Usually it's like, okay, finished. What's next? And I just keep moving on. There's a lot of chapters in the Bible, so you got to keep going. But uh, keep that in your prayer I am editing it. I'll be making the radio shows, and we'll get that on the air right around the 4th of July. And so uh, we'll be talking about that again and making it public other than the live broadcast we had last year. So it'll be a timely message, but just a reminder, you know, Ukrainian flag, it could be uh, horrible shootings in Texas and Buffalo and other places, it might be Pride Month. People are like having to have these hashtags. The whims of man are crazy. And we rely upon the word of God. We rely upon God's word and take our stand upon that. So take heed to yourself. God said to Moses, verses 10 through 13, I'm going to read. Behold, I make a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as you have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among whom you are 
are shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I am driving out from before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Parasites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Take heed to yourselves, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. But you shall destroy their altars, break down their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images." Remember when uh, the Taliban uh, went into Iraq just a few years ago in Mosul? Uh, they were tearing down uh, the ancient artifacts from Babel into that area. Uh, the Babylonian Empire had been buried there. They've uh, uncovered some of that, and they were tearing down those things and. We think they're tearing down history. It's kind of what God commanded the children of Israel to do when they went into the promised land. Destroy it all because it will become a snare to you. And they were also tearing down churches and altars and stuff that it was an affront to so many different religions, but even the Christian religion as well. But it's similar to what God called the children of Israel to do. He gave that warning to take heed to yourself. He said it twice. Take heed to yourself when you go into the land. Be careful because if you're not careful, if you don't take heed, it will, those pagan gods, will become a snare in your midst. Verse 12. So God warned Israel not to make any covenants with the people, not to worship their gods, not to marry their children, not to have any molden images and molden gods for themselves. A sin that they had already failed in, God kind of reminding them of these things. In verse 14, he says, For you shall worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. So this Hebrew word for jealous refers to the zeal of a husband that he has over his wife. His name is Jealous. God had a zeal for his children. He is a zealous God. So don't mess with the zeal of God. Jealousy of God in that sense, that great zeal that he has. But also that Hebrew word translated for us as take heed literally means to bring a hedge about as with thorns. So to kind of put a, today we might say, to put a razor fence around you. Take heed, put a razor fence around you. Protect yourself. Take heed. It reminded me of the word circumspect in Exodus 23:13, And in all that I've said to you, be circumspect. And make no mention of the name of the other gods, nor let it be heard from your mouth. Put that guard around you. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, Paul kind of repeats that similar theme saying, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as the wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Are the days evil today? Can you say that 
we are living in some very evil times, then we need to take heed, put that razor fence around us, walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, understanding the will of the Lord. And God goes on in verses 14 through 17, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. I'm going to pause there. It's been stuck in my head a little bit, but we're talking about uh, Pride Month here. And uh, man, I hate to even watch TV right now with all the commercials. And, and they're just getting worse from my perspective. But um, there were some baseball players that said, I'm not wearing your Pride decal on my uniform. And they're standing up for religious freedom. And we need to have the privilege to be able to do that. If they want to cancel us, then let them cancel us. But we need to be able to take a stand and say, well, I can't. That's a line that I'm not willing to cross. You guys can cross it. That's entirely up to you. But it's not in accordance to the word of God. I can't cross it. So very good that the uh, baseball players are willing to take that stand. I wish more would. And maybe we could get past some of this ridiculousness in our country. So lest you make a country, uh, a country, lest you make a covenant, verse 15, with the inhabitants of the land, play the harlot, that's where I feel our nation is right now, with their gods, make sacrifices to their God, and one of them invites you to eat with the sacrifice, and you take his daughters to, for your sons, his daughters play the harlot with their gods, make your sons play the harlot with their gods, Verse 17, you shall make no molding gods for yourself. So God reminding them, no false gods. You can't co-mingle or co-worship. Don't be unequally yoked. Kind of reinforcing the second commandment, no other God before me. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 16, Paul talks about believers not being unequally yoked together with unbelievers, he says, For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. So we're not to yoke ourselves with unbelievers. Sometimes um, that happens. But if we can prevent it, whether dating, marriage, business partnerships, certain clubs or fraternities. Years ago, my dad, um, there's a strange testimony. My wife, Lily, said it echoes when I step over here. But this isn't in my notes. So I'm I'm stepping into the echo chamber right now. Uh, so my dad was, I was a Mason in the sense of I could actually lay brick. My dad was part of the Masonic Lodge. So, uh, he couldn't lay brick, but he was part of this fraternity. Now, the strange thing about this whole thing is my dad joined the lodge. He was not a believer in Jesus Christ. At the lodge in Waukegan, they gave him his first Bible and said, in this book, you will find the answers to life. My dad, who became a pastor in the end, said, I did find the answer. His name is Jesus Christ. He used his position into 
in the lodge to preach Christ to some very wealthy, rich people uh, in this area and down in Chicago, so much so that they quit inviting him to come to their meetings because he proclaimed the gospel. He, he kind of went a different course. I'm so glad. But when I was 23 years old, he invited me to join the fraternity. And I asked him why. Why should I want to do this? And I remember, I grew up around this. I used to, that lodge in Waukegan was a four-story stone building that they sold for taxes for $83,000. But when I was a kid, I knew every square inch of that place, even the secret chambers I wasn't supposed to be in. I roamed that whole building. But I was, in a sense, familiar with it, but I was never really part of it. My dad was part of it. He was even the grandmaster for a season. Um, so he was deep into it. But I asked him why. Why should I want to join the lodge? And he said, well, it's a brotherhood. And as a brotherhood, we'll watch out for one another. If you ever have a problem, your lodge members will be there for you. And I think it's possible that my dad had a stroke. He was out of work for six months in the hospital uh, back in the 60s to get his valve, heart valve, pioneer days of heart surgery. I think they held his job because he was a lodge member. It may have benefited our family in that way. He went on to explain all the benefits, and I said, that is what the church is supposed to be. That was my response to him. He said, that, you just described the church. I'll stick with the church. You can have your lodge. I think he was probably upset with that, but I never even went further than that. All I remember saying to my dad is that is what the church is supposed to be. Sometimes the church fails and we're not the brothers and sisters in Christ that we should be. And we cause people to search elsewhere where they should not need to search any further than Christ himself and the body of Christ here upon this earth. That was an extra, a bonus. But we need to be careful with that. Don't yoke ourselves with unbelievers, whether dating, marriage, business partnerships, certain clubs, fraternities. That's what got me on that one. Uh, we create a mixture that can never truly be united. So I'm going to read verses 18 through 28, and we'll roll through this section a little bit. And he's just really reiterating some of the things he's already given us. So he's repeating some of these things. Verse 18, the feast of unleavened bread you shall keep. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread as I commanded you in the appointed time of the month of Abib, or Nisan is the same month uh, at this point in Scripture. It's known as Abib later on, Nisan, uh, but the one in the same month. So at the point in time in the month of Abib, for in the month of Abib you, shall, you came out of Egypt. All that opened the womb are mine. Every male firstborn among the livestock, whether ox or sheep, the firstborn of a donkey, you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem him, then you shall break its neck. All the firstborn sons you shall redeem, and none shall appear before me empty-handed. Six days you will work. But on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. And you will observe the feast of weeks and the fruit of the wheat harvest and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. Three times of year all the males shall appear before the Lord, the Lord God of Israel. 
For I will cast out the nations before you and enlarge your borders. Neither will any man covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times a year. So God's saying, you got to come to the temple or the tabernacle, wherever it might be. So Shechem was a place, Shiloh was a place, I mean, Jerusalem became that ultimate place. But I'll protect your land. When you're gone, don't worry about it. Nobody's going to mess with you. You come up. You appear before the Lord like I commanded you. Verse 25. You shall offer the blood of my sacrifice with... You shall not. That not is important there. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven. Nor shall the sacrifice of the feast of Passover be left until morning. The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat with its mother's milk. And the Lord said to Moses, write these words, for according to the tenor of these words, I've made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. He wrote on the tablets the words he wrote. God wrote on the tablets the word of the covenant the Ten Commandments. So God reiterating several things that we've already learned about, uh, referring to the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the redemption of the firstborn, the Sabbath day rest, the laws surrounding that, the Feast of first fruits, and that of harvest, uh, the appearance of every man before the Lord three times a year. Um, if they were to obey this, God promised that he would cast out the nations before them, that he would increase their borders, and protect their lands. God also reminded them of the prohibition of offering leavened bread with a blood sacrifice. So unleavened, and we've talked about this before in the Bible, leaven can represent sin, so the bread is to be unleavened. That was offered before the Lord. God even made a prohibition against boiling a young goat in its mother's milk, repeating this from Exodus 23:19. And God commanded Moses to write these words down, and God gave him, once again, the Ten Commandments. So for a second time, Moses was with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights, neither eating or drinking, which is a miracle in itself. And while receiving a new copy of the Ten Commandments written by the hand of God, during that time, Moses interceded in behalf of the children of Israel. So Deuteronomy 9.18 Moses here is explaining this to the next generation. Before his death, he repeats a lot of the law. In the book of Deuteronomy, it it means a second law. So he's giving it to the children of the adults that are living at this time. And he said, I fell down before the Lord as at the first 40 days and 40 nights. Deuteronomy 9.18. I neither ate bread nor drank water. Because of all your sin, which you have committed, doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. I fell down. He fell down and he interceded in behalf of the children of Israel. So something happened this time that wasn't written about the time before. A divine phenomena took place, verses 29 through 35. So Moses, verse 29 It was when Moses came down from Mount Sinai that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with God. So he began absorbing the glory of God, the radiance of God, causing his very 
face to shine. Verse 30, so when Aaron, the children of Israel, saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, they were afraid to come near him. 31 through 35, then Moses called to them and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him. They returned to him. They ran away, I guess. They fled away from him. Who's this glowing guy coming down the mountain? They were afraid. And Moses talked with them. Afterwards, all the children of Israel came near. He gave them as commandments all the law, all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. He would come out and speak to the children of Israel, whatever had been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses and that the skin of Moses shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again and went until he went in to speak with him. So he developed this habit when he was in the presence of the Lord, take the veil off, receive that glory. Uh, when he spoke to the people immediately following, he would leave the veil off and kind of the radiance of God uh, coming forth from him. But after he was finished giving the commandments, he would put the veil on and cover his face. Now, it's interesting that Paul talked about this, saying that the glory that Moses had received from the Lord was a fading glory. In 2 Corinthians 3.13, unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing. So it's like he needed to recharge. A good way to maybe put that today, we have rechargeable lights and batteries and you want them to glow again, you want them to work again, you got to get them out in the sunlight. Got to charge them up once again. Moses needed that recharge. We need that in our own life. It's a great spiritual truth, I believe, that is applicable to all of us. As we continue to draw near to Jesus, we will reflect the glory of Jesus through our lives toward others. And yet if we turn away, then the glory of Jesus will also fade away from our lives as well. It is only when we stay near to Jesus that we are being transformed into his image. As 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul said, But we are all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. We are all with unveiled faces. We don't, like Moses, we don't need to walk into the presence of the Lord with veiled faces. Take the veil off, receive the glory, and reflect that glory to others. So I mentioned, Dad, I did put this in my notes. I'm just going to refer to it here at the end of this chapter. I mentioned my dad and his participating in the Masonic Lodge. That was the beginning of his journey of faith at that time. But um, he lived 28 years of his life. He lived for 56 years. I kind of put all this together several years after his passing. As far as I'm concerned, my dad at 56 years old, I was 28, he died way too young. Um, And it was kind of difficult for me getting close to 56 and now getting close to 62 
Uh, I'm not as worried about it, but I know that, you know, every day is a gift from the Lord. But my dad's race was finished by the time he was 56 years old. But what's unique to me about his life, the first 28 years, he's lived apart from Christ. He was raised in a home um, where his dad was an alcoholic, my grandpa, Earl, and a womanizer. And my dad had, I don't know if I ever heard my dad say a good word about his father. He divorced his mother at the age of 12. And my grandma said, my dad was the youngest in the family. My grandma said, John A is old enough to take care of himself, so get out of here. And she got rid of her husband at that point. So John A at 12 years old, I don't know if he was old enough to take care of himself, but he was raised by older brothers and an older sister. And he lived apart from Christ as in a young teen, an adult. He spent six months in an army hospital because of a heart issue at 17 years old. He said, when I came out of there, I thought more like a 35-year-old because all the men in the hospital were older. And he was just a kid. And he kind of, you know, he didn't like the teenagers anymore, even though he's still a teenager. Um, it raised him up. But I also think he learned some bad habits there. So he came out of that, hanging out in bars, smoking and drinking, were the vices of his day. And he used to say from the pulpit as a preacher, I met plenty of Christians in the bar sitting on the stools. And I said, if that's Christianity, I want no part of it. But at 28 years old, God got a hold of his heart. He believed in Jesus and some things immediately faded away. The drinking immediately left him. Smoking took a little longer for my dad but he overcame those things. And for the next 28 years, he grew in his faith. And as he grew, he began to reflect the glory of Jesus more and more. And that's how it should be for us. Uh, it's sometimes God, echo chamber, sometimes <laughs> we're going to get some stuff to help us up here. So this is stuff that I've learned as an older Christian more mature Christian. I believe sometime God knows that we can't work through some things in our lives. There'll be difficulties where God says, you know what, for John A., my dad, that drinking, I'll just take that one from you because that's going to be a hard one for you. The smoking, I'm going to make you work through that one. It's going to take you a year or two, but you're going to get through that one on your own. And when God makes us work through both our grace, some he takes from us, without even our trying. Others, he makes us work through it. But I believe as he makes us work through the difficulties, he's building muscle, spiritual muscle in our life. He's strengthening us, um, like with our kids. You know, you want them to grow and to become strong. If you do everything for them, they will never learn and be, have that strength that they need to guide their own lives. So God the Father, he does the same for us as well. So we get into chapter 35, two key verses, 21 and 22. And I titled this section, Willing Hearts. Then everyone came whose heart was willing and stirred, verse 21. Everyone whose spirit was willing. They brought the Lord's offering, the work of the tabernacle of meeting, for all his service, for the holy garments. And they came both men and women, as many as had willing hearts. So 
I pulled that as the title of this chapter, Willing Hearts. And the remainder of, as I said earlier, Exodus 35 through 40, dealing with the construction, the setup, and the dedication of the tabernacle. And it begins, though, with the reminder of the Sabbath day. We just had a reminder in chapter 34. God hits it again. Uh, Verses 1 through 3. Then Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together and said to them, These are the words of the Lord that the Lord has commanded you to do. Work shall be done for six days, but on the seventh day it shall be a holy day for you, a Sabbath of the rest of the Lord. Whoever does any work shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire throughout your dwellings on the Sabbath day. So the children of Israel, the standard law, you work six days, you rest on the Sabbath day, um, Friday evening at sunset until Saturday evening at sunset is technically the Sabbath in the Jewish mind. And uh, boy, to the, to the youth party in Israel today, right before the Sabbath and after the Sabbath. Very sad. To break the Sabbath meant death then, and we'll discover that uh, in the book of Numbers, chapter 15, verse 32, a man is put to death because he's gathering firewood on the Sabbath. So there was great judgment at their time. But of all the commentaries that I read, it appears that this, verses 1 through 3, right before God talks about building the tabernacle, constructing the tabernacle, He threw this in to remind them, while you're making the tabernacle, don't work on the Sabbath. Yes, the tabernacle is important, but don't work on the Sabbath. Don't kindle a fire. Some of the commentators believe that. Don't fire up the smelting ovens. Don't melt gold. Don't melt silver. Don't melt brass on the Sabbath. Take a rest. Uh, It's important, yes but not more important than your relationship with me. And so this kindling of fire, it's only found here, but in Israel, if you go to Israel today, there are Orthodox Jews that uh, if you're in the hotels, they have the Sabbath elevators. So don't get on a Sabbath elevator unless you want to stop at every single floor because you can't kindle a fire. You can't push the button that creates a spark that causes the juice to flow So they just let them run. Uh, The Sabbath elevator stops at every floor. So if you're on the first floor, not too bad. But if you're on the top floor, you're going to have to go through every single floor until you get to the top. Uh, Lighting stoves, lighting ovens, uh, all these things. They'll just leave it burning. They can't kindle, kindle a fire. So they have these rules that are really more than what God intended. Some believe that... Here at the beginning of chapter 35, God's just saying, yes, the tabernacle, the work of the tabernacle is important, but I'm more important. So remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So Moses spoke to all the congregation, verse 4. Congregation of the children of Israel said, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded you. Take from among you an offering to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as an offering to the Lord. So Moses declares to collect a free will offering to the Lord for the work of the tabernacle of meeting, verse 21, skip down a moment, for the work of the tabernacle of meeting for all of its service and for the holy garments. So that's the 
offering to build the tabernacle, all the things that go into making the tabernacle function and for the priestly garments. So it was a tax. It wasn't a tax being imposed upon them. It was a free will offering. Whoever had a willing heart, they were to give. So it wasn't a forced offering, but a free will offering. Second Corinthians 8, 12 through 15, Paul talked about a free will offering to the Corinthians saying, if there's first a willing mind, it is to be accepted according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. So you're supposed to work within your means with the offerings given to the Lord. For I do not mean that others should be eased, that you should be burdened, but that by equality, that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack and their abundance may also supply your lack, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathers much had nothing left over. He who gathered little had no lack. So he ties it back to the gathering of manna in uh, the Exodus days. And Paul makes it clear not to be a burden, but that of equality. So that Greek word for equality, it can be referred to as a sense of fairness or fair dealing, equal. And it's supposed to be a cheerful giving, Second Corinthians 9, 7. It's supposed to be uh, hilarious, hilariously to give happily or cheerfully to have this state of mind uh, when you give to the Lord. So pick up in verse 5 again. He details the offering. 5 through 9, the offering was to be of gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, scarlet thread, fine linen, goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, badger skins, acacia wood, oil for the light and spices for the anointing oil and for the incense, onyx stones, stones to be set in the ephod, and also the breastplate. So the children of Israel were to bring specific items for the work of the tabernacle of meeting. Some of these items, every person, common threads of color, now the blue, purple, and scarlet threads, they might be in anyone's household. Gold, silver, bronze, uh, the stones, the onyx stones, we discover as we read through here that the rulers brought these. So some gifts came from those who had greater wealth, some perhaps coming from those who had less wealth, but everybody who had a willing heart were able to give to the work of the ministry. And this was uh, not a force, but a free will offering. And I believe in churches, we can have uh, things come up and say, hey, this has come up. We have a need beyond our regular tithe and offering. If you'd like to help supply this need, we did this with the well, um, five Indian families from India that they became Christian. They've been put out of their village. They're not allowed to get water from the community well. And uh, Tony here from our church is trying to build funds to supply a well for them that they can have water to drink. And uh, we referred to that in the last couple of weeks here at the church. So not a forced offering, a free will offering. And just a few weeks ago, I received an email from a radio listener 
not a radio listener. He was on our website. He listened to my teaching through the book of Revelation. And uh, he sent an email and he said, is there anything, I'm reading his words, is there anything that you're thinking about purchasing for your online ministry? I feel like I want to help. So we haven't, I haven't responded to that. Bob, anything? <laughs> I haven't, res- I mean, I responded to him, but I said, let us think about that. I guess we're still thinking. Sometimes you can have specific needs and it's not wrong to act, ask for it. So there was a call, verses 10 through 19. All the gifted artisans among you shall come and make all that the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle, its tent, its coverings, its clasp, its boards, its bars, its pillars, its sockets, the ark, its poles, the mercy seat, the veil of the covering, the table and its poles, its utensils, the showbread. Also, the lampstand for the light, its utensils, its lamps, the oil for the lights, the incense of the altar, or the incense altar, its poles, the anointing oil, the sweet incense, the screen for the door of the entrance of the tabernacle, the altar of the burnt offering with its bronze grating, its poles, all its utensils, the levir and its base, the hangings of the curtains, the courtyard, its pillars, the sockets, the screen of the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle, the pegs of the court, Maybe somebody says, I can make tent pegs, and that was their gift. That was their job. They lived in tents. No doubt they needed a lot of them. The garments of the ministry, the ministry of the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron, the priest, the garments of his sons to minister as priests. So God lists out all these different things that the children of Israel, they were to come and not only give gifts to make the things, but actually give of their time to produce these things. And some people would have special abilities to be able to do these things, to weave, to make yarn. Uh, One, they even highlighted those women who are able to spin goat's hair. We'll read about in a moment. Everybody has their giftings and they were to use those giftings to serve the Lord. They would not only need master craftsmen, but journeymen, apprentices, laborers, skilled artisans, and gifted tailors. But also, as I think about this, the children of Israel, many of these had learned their craft, their gifting, while they were slaves in Egypt, building false gods, building the supply cities for Pharaoh. And it reminds us that sometimes the things that we learn in the world, once we come to faith in Christ, can be used for the glory of Christ. Sometimes, We just need to let some things go. But the gifts, the giftings, the skills that he gives us can be used in the work of ministry. Like Moses, for 40 years, according to Acts 7, 22, he was learned in all the wisdom of Egypt and was mighty in word and deed. From birth to 40 years old, Moses, he lived with the Egyptians. He walked like an Egyptian, talked like an Egyptian, learned all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Many would think he was an Egyptian. But from 40 to 80 years old, he learned the ways of a shepherd. And then when God had enrolled him in the Midian Desert Institute, that he might effectively shepherd the people of God. And then from 80 to 120 years old, well, he became the savior of Israel. He led the children of Israel. 
And so sometimes God takes us from what we did in the world and he's able to use that work in our lives, rework it in our hearts that we can serve Christ. And it also reminds us that sometimes God takes his time to prepare a servant whom he intends to use greatly. So 20 through 29, all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. Presence of Moses, everyone whose heart was stirred, everyone whose spirit was willing, they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting, for all its service, for its holy garments. They came both men and women, as many as had willing hearts, and they brought earrings and nose rings and rings and necklaces and all the jewelry of gold. That is, every man who made an offering of gold to the Lord, every man with whom it was found blue and purple and scarlet thread, fine linen, goat's hair, uh, red skin, of rams, badger skins, brought them, every one who offered an offering of silver or bronze to the Lord, every one with whom was found acacia wood, for the work of the service brought it. And the women who were gifted artisans spun yard with their hands, brought what they had spun, blue, purple, and scarlet, fine linen. And all the women whose hearts were stirred with wisdom spun yarn of goat's hair. The rulers brought onyx stones, and the stones to be set in the ephod, and then the breastplate of the high priest, and the spice and the oil for the lights, and for the anointing oil and the sweet incense. The children of Israel brought a free will offering to the Lord. All the men and women whose hearts were willing to bring material for all kinds of work, of which the Lord by the hand of Moses commanded to be done. So as their hearts were stirred with the abilities that they had, the gifts that they had, they brought to the Lord. And it may be, we'll learn in chapter 36, one of the few times in any church service that you ever heard for the material that they had was sufficient for all the work to be done. Indeed, too much. Uh, those who manage this work, which we'll read about in a minute, those who managed this work in chapter 36 would come to Moses and say to Moses, tell the people to stop giving. I don't know if you've ever been to a church service where any pastor said, just stop. <laughs> no more gifts. Too much, too much. Well, those gifts and the abilities that we have, it reminded me of a, a passage in the harvest. So in 19, I think it was 1985, Paul uh, Chuck Smith, along with uh, Tal Brook, wrote a book called The Harvest. And uh, that book changed my life. That book is why I'm a Calvary Chapel pastor today. If I hadn't read that book, I probably wouldn't be standing in front of you today. And so I remember a lot of the book. It just blew my mind. My Dad, I asked him once as a Baptist pastor, I asked him why we don't see the things in the book of Acts happening in the church today that we read about in the book of Acts. And he said, because God doesn't work that way anymore. And I said, well, why not? That was my response to my dad. My dad probably didn't like the young, smart <laughs> Johnny. But the spirit was moving to my heart. And that's how I responded to death. Like, why not? And I read the book, The Harvest, and I said, oh, God does work that way. So this reminded me of a section. I'm going to read just a couple of paragraphs. And talking about building their first chapel. 
The interesting thing is how we saw love prove itself as God's adhesive force time and time again. Dwayne Hart, a man who today is one of our elders, is a good example of the resistance many felt. He was furiously suspicious of the hippie converts. He felt that they were insincere, freeloaders, manipulators who were unwilling to change or unable to change. Never would they be able to work or support themselves. And one afternoon, as Duane was working side by side with a group of hippie converts at the time, were dismantling a school building that had not yet come up to code, and he saw something that pierced his heart. These lean, muscular young men worked tirelessly as they sweat away in the summer sun, pulling off old roof tiles, Long hours went by. They never slowed down. By the end of the day, they were scrubbing down the piles of old roof tiles for the use of the new structure. Dwayne noticed that their hands were bleeding from the work. Their hands were bleeding. These young men worked into the night singing of their newfound love for Jesus. So God convicted Dwayne of his judgmentalism that by the end of the day, there was not a word that could be uttered about them except in their defense from then on. Sometimes when we work together, rich, poor, all classes of people, we learn to walk side by side with the gifts that God gives us. Verses 30 through 35, we close out this chapter. And Moses said to the children of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Biziel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, in the tribe of Judah. In verse 34, he has put in his heart the ability to teach, and in him a Holalib, the son of whoever, and the tribe of Dan. I get tired of trying to say those names. What Moses had received from the Lord while on the mountain, he now reiterates to the children of Israel, and he even called two men to run the work, to head up the work, to teach the people. Not only were they skilled craftsmen and artisan, they had the spirit of God and the understanding to teach. As God explained in verses 31 through 33, with the spirit of God in wisdom and understanding, the knowledge of all manner of workmanship, to design artistic work and the work of gold and silver and bronze, the cutting of jewels, for setting the carving of wood, the work of all manner of artistic workmanship. And so that was Biziel and his a partner, his assistant, Hololib, was an engraver, a designer of tapestry, the maker of blue and purple and scarlet thread and fine linen, a weaver to do all the work of those who design artistic works. And they took the skills that they had learned. I believe they learned a lot of this in Egypt, but the Spirit of God was in them. I love it. They were Spirit-filled craftsmen, laborers, working for the glory of God, gifted tailors. We can do that. And the skills that the Lord gives us in this world that we live in, God can take and turn it for His glory when He fills us with His Spirit. So the offering, one last thing, one last dad story. So as a pastor, dad took over a church of 12 people. In a year, they had over 100 coming. Uh, 
they were renting an old schoolhouse in Wadsworth, Illinois, and Wadsworth told my dad, they gave him a year or more, said, we're going to make this our town hall, so you need to find a new place. And uh, here's a 12-year-old boy, we're driving home from church one day, and I said, Dad, why don't you guys just build a church? I don't know if he had thought about that yet, but I said, there's five acres right there, why don't you buy that land? (laughs) And before long, they owned not that five acres, but another five acres about uh, two blocks away of that general area. And they built a church, and they dedicated the church. The upstairs of the church had carpet in it, and uh, they needed a vacuum bath. Now, as the spirit moves, someone brought a vacuum. The only problem is the vacuum was used. It didn't work well. They bought a new one for their house, thought not good enough for my house, but good enough for the house of God. Um, so they bought a new one for the house, dumped theirs off at the church. We threw it away because it didn't work very well. Um, so be careful with that. It's not good enough for your house, not good enough for God. If the Lord moves you, keep the old vacuums at home. But as the Lord moves, uh, there are good things. We, we had a, the microwave we have in the kitchen downstairs. Our microwave got repaired by the factory. While we were waiting for the repair, they gave us money to buy a new vacuum, new microwave. Um, we used it for a month, got the parts, fixed our old microwave, and we had a, basically a brand new microwave that's been here for many years. Sometimes it can work, but be careful what you give. Make sure it's not the old stuff you just want to get rid of and get a tithe receipt for. Make sure it's coming from a willing heart with the love of God. So let each one, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Let's stand. Father, we thank you for your word that you've given us tonight. I didn't think I'd get so much out of these two chapters, Lord, just really listing out the building materials of the tabernacle, but more so, Lord, talking about the hearts of worship, that we should have when we worship you, the gifts that you give us. And Lord, though we may have learned some of our skills in the world as believers, they might be able to be used for your glory. So give us, Lord, hearts that are stirred, maybe in gifts and offerings, free will offerings, or maybe in our gifts and talents that you have given us that we can use in service for you, that we together, uh, young and old, rich or poor, whatever class of society we might be in, that we can come together to work together for your glory and our good. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.